Welcome to episode 104 of the GTO on 5G. It's the latest inside scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 20 minutes, and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is fellow analyst Anshul Sag. Let's get started with my first topic, and Qualcomm announced an acquisition this week of Cellwise. And so my question of the day, is it a smart move? I think it is. So there's no doubt that uh, Qualcomm has been pushing into the infrastructure space and RAN in particular. Anshul and I have talked about that on uh, numerous podcasts. And what Cellwise brings is an automation platform, which will be super critical from just a, an overall RAN deployment perspective. And what I like about um, Cellwise's capabilities is that its architecture can support open RAN, VRAN, as well as traditional RAN uh, infrastructure, and what are also referred to as multi-generational support scenarios. So this really, from my perspective, strengthens Qualcomm's overall push into infrastructure. Automation is gonna be key in these service provider networks. Uh, you know, as you and I know, Anshul, um, one of the metrics that mobile network operators are measured by is churn. And you want a highly reliable network and automation is gonna be a big key part of that, not only for service providers, but within enterprise networks and private 5G networks as well. But what's your take on this? Um, I think it's an interesting, you know, and it's an acquisition that makes sense in a lot of ways. Um, it's been rumored for a couple months now. Sure. Um, so this was kind of not really a surprise to anybody at this point. Um, what I do think is interesting is kind of what you pointed on, which is, this is a um, complete uh, orchestration solution for not just one type of RAN. Um, right. and, it, and, it, and it will help simplify someone looking to deploy something new like VRAN or OpenRAN, but still wanna be able to control and use and, 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 and orchestrate their different pieces of, of infrastructure. So yeah. um, I, I think this is a good play. Um, you know, I'll be honest, I'm surprised they didn't get acquired earlier. Yeah, um, or sooner by someone else wanting to do this because realistically, I think that if you if you want to be a competitive player in the um, open RAN space, um, you either need to have an extremely deep relationship on the software side, or you need to just own it. And I, I think a lot of companies are starting to realize that um, they need to own it rather than um, you know allow partner to um, you know do that orchestration for them because mm -hmm. that, that partner could get acquired like i'm sure has happened to a lot of cellwise's customers so um we'll see how this kind of shakes out in the long term but i think a lot of these um, software solutions for for open ran are gonna get gobbled up as they have been yeah you know and that's a great insight on the complexity with open ran and we've talked about that on prior podcasts just the whole you know nature of the disaggregation and the fact that you've got all these new players that are entering the RAN ecosystem with Open RAN, it just requires, you know, just another level set of orchestration and automation capabilities. So, you know, I've been following Cellwise for a while, and I, I agree with you. I, I'm surprised that it took this long for them to get acquired. Maybe, maybe they weren't ready to get acquired, you know, at that point, but certainly being acquired by a company by, like Qualcomm um, is, is quite compelling. So... But let's move to your first topic. And we've been, we've been discussing this subject on prior podcasts with DISH and its need to have certain coverage by this time of the year, or they were gonna get levied, you know, a multi-billion dollar fine. And so you wanna provide an update. Yeah, so 
first of all, they they say they've launched their 5G service in 120 cities. Um, if you look at the cities where they've launched, you know, I would say that the biggest cities are probably like Dallas, Houston, and Orlando. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no mention of New York or LA or like San Diego or Seattle or Portland. Um, it's like, it's a lot of tier two cities. Yeah. Um, and I think it's interesting. I think their biggest market um, that they've launched in might be Houston or Dallas. Um, but it's interesting because a lot of people are really having a hard time ordering the service. So it's the, the project, the, the, the 5G network is being called Project Genesis. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've published a list on their website, uh, which I'll, we'll, we'll include in the um, description. But basically, they've got this list of 120 cities. And then if you hit order now, it's going to, it basically drives you to a new page that asks you to put your email address in. Um, and then you put in your actual physical address and check for availability. Um, and they say that, you know, they, they can uh, allow you to experience the first, uh, you know, their cloud native 5G network, mm-hmm. um, the first of its kind in the US, uh, and that they've got smart 5G, uh, and there will be uh, rewards um, for helping them improve their network. Um, so you can even join a, a beta list hmm. uh, where people can test out the network and provide feedback about their experience. So um, this is, uh, you know, this is a network launch. I, I think the biggest challenge is just going to be verifying what coverage really looks like. Um, yeah. I'm sure they're going to keep that coverage map very close to their chest for quite some time. Right. Um, but it seems like they may have avoided um, this issue with the the FCC. Um, but, you know, I'm sure there's, they're, they're going to have a lot of competitors who want their spectrum, you know, questioning that. Yeah, I agree. And, and actually, it's probably, this is a good time to announce it. We're going to have Sean Kenny. He's the editor in chief of RCR Wireless on the podcast next week. And he's going to provide some further color on this subject. But uh, it'll be interesting. I like the whole notion of smart 5G. It'll be interesting to sort of unpack that, you know, over the coming months to really understand what they're talking about. It makes me think that there's some edge enablement there. But, you know, I, I have been pretty adamant on prior podcasts around DISH and their need to really differentiate themselves and go to market differently. They're not, they're not going to be effective if they go head to head with the heavyweights on AT&T and Verizon and T-Mobile. So from my perspective, they're going to have to focus on some discrete services, do something with IoT, similar to what, what T-Mobile recently launched with its TIOT initiative, but it'll be interesting. So we'll definitely be keeping tabs on it. We look forward to having Sean on the podcast next week and to get his take on things. So let's move to my second topic this week. And Google Cloud Platform finally announced its private 5G offering. And you know, my, my initial question is, is it going to be competitive with AWS and Azure that have much more mature offerings in the market? And on the surface, it's a very similar structure uh, to their two main competitors. It's sort of a best of breed um, uh, with with respect to some specific partners. uh, Betacom is a network design company. They're gonna be involved. Boingo Wireless, who (laughs) I haven't been really too high on in the past uh, with their airport (laughs) and airplane service. 
But I found it interesting, Crown Castle, big tower company, but Solana. And I've spoken about Solana in the past. They're that little nifty startup that's doing private 5G. It's a turnkey solution. They're involved with a company called uh, Khajiit. And uh, the way it sounds like Google's positioning things from a private perspective is that Solana is going to be focused on kind of smart building deployments in real estate, whereas Khajiit is going to be directed towards school placements. And obviously, both of those companies leverage CBRS spectrum. So on, on the surface, it's very similar to what AWS and, um, and Azure are doing. And uh, really, at the end of the day, they are very, very late to the party. Um, I'm surprised it's taken them this long. And at this point, I'm wondering how difficult it's going to be for them to be competitive with uh, two other incumbents that are much stronger. But would love to get your take on this. I, I think they're a little late. Um, but I, I'll also say that while they may be a little late, um, I don't really think uh, anyone has really deployed anything um, meaningful enough for this to be uh, really truly considered late to market. Okay. Um, I, think, I think they're late to announce, um, but I think they still have time to deploy. Um, and I think that when you look at what's available today, a lot of it's still fairly small deployments. Um, and this could just be Google taking their time. That said, we've seen them kind of be late to other things as well. Yeah. Um, so this might just be, you know, the pace that Google Cloud moves at. Uh, unfortunately, that pace has uh, kept them solidly in third place behind uh, Azure and uh, AWS. So I think realistically, they need to have this offering, but I'm not really sure if it really puts them at too much of a disadvantage of being, you know, to market, you know, third yeah. out of the I, big cloud players. Yeah, no, I, you know, I, I tend to, you know, agree with you on that point. You know, what we've probably really seen to date have been like a lot of proof of concepts with AWS and, and, and Azure for operators. And, you know, if I sort of think back to reInvent, I mean, really reInvent, and then even like Mobile World Congress um, earlier this year, reInvent, you know, was in December of last year, and then Mobile World Congress, obviously, February, March. Um, yeah, I mean, I spent time with, with AWS, and um, when I asked about, you know, commercial deployments, I didn't get a, really a lot of uh, details there, but just got a lot of details on, on POTS and tests and that sort of thing. So, you know, from my perspective, it may be sort of a market perception thing. And, you know, it's sort of like, you know, no one got fired for buying IBM, you know, lately in the cloud space, no one got fired for, you know, for spinning up an instance of AWS and Azure has been hot on their heels, especially with a lot of key acquisitions in the telco space. And they've really kind of closed the gap. And from my perspective, both have um, very, very broad telco cloud offerings for the mobile network operators and, you know, and they've leveraged that for their, for their private 5G offerings as well. So yeah, time will tell, but you know, again, you know, a little late to the party, but time will tell, and it'll be interesting to sort of keep tabs on this to see where, where GCP lands. But let's go to your second topic this week. And I, I caught this announcement from T-Mobile. Man, lately, it seems like T-Mobile has been, you know, announcing two or three things almost on a weekly basis. And this is around their coverage beyond initiative. And you wanted to share the details of that with our viewers and listeners and provide some insight. So I'll let you take it away. Yeah. So actually it's three announcements in the last oh, okay. week. 
okay. uh, which is kind of wild. Yeah. Um, so first is Coverage Beyond. Uh, this is like their new Uncarrier um, branded uh, announcement. Really what it amounts to is uh, they are trying to uh, take advantage of the fact that people are traveling this summer and they want to give people access to on the top tier plan. So you have to have a T-Mobile Max plan, which mm -hmm. is their most expensive plan. Um, I'm on that plan right now, but it, it has the most features and you know, it's what they're trying to, what, what T-Mobile is trying to do is instead of raising prices, which a lot of their competitors have done, is they're trying to just push people into the more expensive plans. Um, that way they don't have to raise prices on anybody, um, which is an interesting strategy, but it's a strategy nonetheless. Um, and one of the ways that they can do that is by offering capabilities, features, and benefits. So that's what they're doing with this. Um, they're offering five gigs of high-speed data worldwide in 210 countries around the world, um, which is from, from Magenta Max and Business Un Unlimited Ultimate customers, which mm -hmm. are both top-tier plans. And what's awesome about that is previously they offered none. Um, but they did offer free international roaming at 2G speeds, uh, and you would have to pay $5 a gig. I think it was $5 a gig. It might be $10 a gig, but you had yeah. to pay basically as you go. Actually, it might be like $5 for 500 megabytes. It was not a great deal. Not a great deal. Um, <laughs> so, and I've done that before and I wasn't, you know, thrilled, but it allowed me to do stuff like, you know, use Google Maps, check email, et cetera, yeah. right. um, which is still cheaper than what a lot of other companies were charging. But this is five gigs for free. Uh, I'm going to assume per month. Um, and honestly, five gigs is great for if you're somewhere abroad for maybe a week. Yeah. Um, even if you're gone for two weeks, you, I still think you can make five gigs work uh, without necessarily having to turn off data or, or, or get kicked down to two gigs or 2G. So I think it's a good thing. They're, on addition to that, they're also allowing free full and full flight in-flight connectivity um, with, mo with most of the U.S. major airlines like Delta, American, and Alaska with yeah, United yeah. to follow, but they kind of already offer that. Um, I mean, I've been a T-Mobile customer for a while and I've had free free um, streaming for a long time. Um, so I think that's maybe not a big deal. I think they're just kind of expanding it to more airlines. Yeah. I fly Alaska a lot, so that's probably why I, I, I'm used to it. Yeah. Uh, and then on top of that, they're, they're, you know, they're giving people 25 cents a month, uh, 25 cents uh, on shell gas per gallon. Um, so that's kind of what they're doing there. In addition yeah. to that, they did announce uh, that they are now uh, going to have three carrier aggregation. And um, what that allows them to do is to reach speeds of up to three gigabits per second without millimeter wave. Mm -hmm. So they were able to do this 2.5 gigahertz and one, so two 2.5 gigahertz channels and one 1900 megahertz channel with mm -hmm. an effective um, total aggregate bandwidth of 210 megahertz. Um, and they were able to do that with a Galaxy S22. I'm gonna assume it was a 22 Ultra, um, but um, yeah, I think it's pretty crazy. Uh, I was just in Austin this week uh, and they, you know, I was getting the mid-band coverage almost citywide and everywhere I went, I got anywhere from 500 to 750 megabits per second, mm -hmm. uh, including when I had dinner with Pat, uh, mm -hmm. our, our, our principal analyst. So 
are actually he's now CEO, we're principal analysts. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was it was really interesting to see that. And then the third announcement, which I know it feels like I'm dragging on here, but um, they also announced a, a partnership with Oseus, uh, and that is a, a defense contractor, basically a defense contractor that, that helps deliver connectivity services to the U.S. government, specifically the defense department. So, um, you know, T-Mobile's kind of just rapid firing different major announcements across the company. And I think individually, each of these announcements isn't that big of a deal. But when you combine all three of them, you know, it really shows you the kind of momentum that T-Mobile is moving with in mm-hmm. terms of, you know, their network partnerships and, and just maximizing value for their customers. Yeah, no, <clears throat> I totally agree. And, you know, it's impressive to see what they're doing with carrier aggregation and, and the speeds that they're, they're hitting there. And that'll hopefully come to a, a metropolitan location near, near you. But um, from my perspective, this just really demonstrates that they've done most of the heavy lifting. Um, now they're fine tuning when, and I'm going to talk about Verizon as my third topic, when companies like Verizon are still de- are deploying their mid-band, right? So, yeah. So, and, you know, we've sort of talked about this. This is going to give them an advantage. Verizon and AT&T will close the gap, but, you know, they're making hay with it right now. <clears throat> it's quite, it's quite impressive. I'd like to state one thing just on kind of the coverage, and, you know, coverage beyond program. I think it's masterful, like all of the, you know, the, the, the goodies that you get when you sign up for, you know, the various plans with T-Mobile. And I'd love to see uh, AT&T, who is my primary uh, mobile network carrier, um, forge a deal with American Airlines as much as um, I've been on an airplane so far this month and the second half of the year is looking just as, uh, as hectic. So AT&T, um, American Airlines, shout out to both of you guys there. So. <laughs> But let me, let me move to my third and final topic. I want to talk about Verizon. And uh, it's no surprise, uh, they uh, spent a lot of money in C-band and they are deploying that. And, you know, we were getting confirmations of that from many of our journalist colleagues that Anshul and I talked to you. But they're also testing CBRS or for 5G deployment. And this is nothing new. So um, they've been using CBRS spectrum assets for its LTE network. And um, Verizon claims that they see uh, up to an 80% increase in speed um, after deploying CBRS. So this week, the announcement was around um, a test with Ericsson where they completed a 5G data session using the CBRS General um, Authorized Access or GAA Spectrum. Um, You know, Verizon has spent a lot of money on um, PAL, um, you know, it's nearly nearly two billion dollars to augment what they uh, what they did with C-band, and I found it interesting. A lot of it covers small to mid-sized markets, which CBRS is ideally suited for sort of the gap fill. No surprise there. But their single PAL license in LA County was fifty-two million dollars. <laughs> so talk about going Hollywood, right? Um, so it's interesting. They you know they they invested you know tons and tons of money in spectrum, but I think it's interesting to see them using some of the CBRS spectrum to gap fill. Um, and, you know, and there's no, there's no announced timeline on when they're going to flip the switch and go into production uh, for 5G, but certainly, you know, the test uh, is the first step and we should see this happen, you know, sort of over time. And, 
you know, I, I think this is an opportunity for them to accelerate their much needed mid-band deployment, but uh, would love to get your take on it. Yeah, I think CVRS is, you know, obviously a challenge with, you know, having to share the spectrum. Right. Um, I think you're right that in places where there are fewer incumbents, uh, it's a lot easier to use. Um, and, and just in less dense populated areas, because you can use it outdoors much more easily and freely. Yeah. Um, and there's much less of a chance of, you know, interference. Um, so I think it definitely work, makes a lot of sense in smaller markets. Um, and we'll see how it really looks long-term. I think, you know, 4G was kind of a test vehicle for them. Yeah. Um, and I think that the, you know, them transitioning it to 5G will really be, um, I think what their long-term plan always was. And yeah. I think it'll be easier for us to assess whether or not their strategy um, makes sense and whether or not they're able to execute um, when it gets to 5G. So I, I think we're gonna probably see over the next year or two what the impact of uh, Verizon's use of CBRS is. Cause I think if you look at it, they're, they're kind of a leader in the space and um, everybody else is pretty much following them. And I, I think, you know, it was more of a necessity thing just because, um, you know, Verizon didn't have that much spectrum for a very long time yeah. in 5G. And so I think they started in 4G and, you know, they've got some, some agreements in place. And like you said, some licenses as well. So um, we'll see how that looks long-term, but I think this, this was a strategy born out of, you know, a lack of spectrum, which I actually just saw a report that said that um, even with all the spectrum holdings that Verizon and AT&T have acquired, they're both still like 25% less spectrum than what T-Mobile has today. So yeah. um, it'll be very interesting to see what CB, how CBRS helps them fill that gap and yep. whether or yep. not it will be effective. Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, it's it's sort of a tweener, you know, it's sort of a gap fill, but, you know, the, the, you know, when, when something is scarce, you don't have enough of something like mid-band, um, it helps. So, but let's move to your third and final topic this week. And speaking of C-band, uh, you want to provide an update on um, this whole FAA airline hoo-ha. And I, I actually saw something come across from our friends at AT&T on this as well, but I haven't had a chance to catch it, but um, why don't you share it with our viewers and listeners? Yeah, I haven't actually seen uh, what uh, FA what AT and T has said, but um, what the FA this was a Reuters story. They they had the exclusive, uh, and they basically said that the FAA administrator Billy Nolan um, said in a letter reviewed by Reuters that AT and T and Verizon want to boost C band five G services around some airports starting in July after previously delaying their rollout. Um, and, and basically he was saying that like airlines need to press ahead with their retrofitting of radio altimeters mm -hmm. um, and that, that there are no guarantees that all large markets will retain the current safeguards. Um, and it, it sounds like we still don't even know what aircraft are interfering because yeah. you know last week we, we talked about how the NTIA was doing some preliminary testing and they hadn't even found any um, interfere, harmful interference yet. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that it's probably very few aircraft, which is probably why the FAA is even pushing this because yeah. it should, it's probably like in maybe the hundreds 
of aircraft nationwide. Because, um, you know, there's, you know, tens of thousands of aircraft, if not hundreds of thousands of aircraft in the United States. Yeah. Um, but I really don't think this is really that big of a problem for the airlines. And if it is, it's probably very small and it's probably air, air, airplanes that need to be phased out anyways. And yeah, have to be exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I've flown a few of these British Airways, you know, flights, but, you know, the direct between Heathrow and in London or well, Heathrow, London and Austin, and uh, they need to be taken out of service. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like they, you know, they've been pressuring these airlines to make upgrades. But um, once again, this continues to be an issue of, of money more yeah. than anything, right. because even I'm reading this Reuters article, it says some airlines have raised concerns about paying to retrofit alternators only to face paying for replacement in a few years. Yes. So these are people, these are airlines that don't want to pay for a new airplane. They also don't want to pay for a retrofit because they're going to get, they're going to, you know, get rid of the plane in a few years. So it's like, why, why is that our problem? Right. Yeah, the drama continues, man. Um, interesting. Uh, we'll probably keep talking about this through the end of the year. But hey, it's been another great podcast this week. Why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide insights on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Well Town Tech, and I'm at Anshel Sog. We hope you have a great weekend, and please tune in again next week.